What a beautiful rendition. Thank you to the choir. Thank you to the musicians. And uh, I'd like to also thank um, Brother John this morning for his introduction to the prayer. Uh, it is in fact a, uh, a worthy segue to uh, that which about which uh, I would like to uh, speak this morning. Friends, um, amazing as it might seem, there on the mountain with God after the first tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, had been cast down, broken by Moses. When he returned amongst the various things about which he spoke with God, he posed this question. He said, I pray you, show me your glory. Could a man ask such a thing? and hope to stand before that. God's answer is illuminating. He said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face and live. And it will come about, he said, while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Does this seem to you an unusual way to proclaim something of the nature of God? I submit this morning to you that Unless God makes to us a self-revelation, we would have no idea who God is. In fact, God has made a revelation not only of himself, but he's made a prophetic revelation that encompasses all of scripture, all of human history, which we otherwise would not know. There are many things that we do not know. And in fact, Scripture mentions just a few in those very words. Jesus, uh, it was quoted here from Jeremiah 33 and verse 3. Uh, he said, God speaking, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great things, mighty things which you do not know. Matthew 24, 42, therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Matthew 25, 13, be on the alert, for you do not know the day or the hour. He even said in John 4 and verse 22, you worship what you do not know. And finally, in Revelation 3.17, and there are many others, he said, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. There is a cry that has been heard. We find that cry in Second Peter 
chapter 3 and verse 3. The cry is this, where is the promise of his coming? They were emboldened, these criers, by the delay in the fulfilment of the promise. But this cry has not only been from the doubters. It has also come from the heart of many generations of believers. But the response of Scripture has always been, in Matthew 24, 36, but at that hour and day, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. A similar perplexing phrase is found in verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And these two texts, in fact, were a response to a question the disciples asked of Jesus as they sat together on the Mount of Olives. They said to Jesus in verse 3, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And from our earthly perspective, we've often contemplated this text. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. We have contemplated this for generations. Dates have been set. Certain elements of the sanctuary have been studied. Some very unusual calculations have been made, seeking to arrive at some idea of the answer to that question. And as much as we, looking from, from here on earth, looking heavenward, ask the question, is there another perspective? What is God's perspective? I'd like to zoom out, if you will, and look at the bigger picture. The salvation of humanity is, it's all God's plan. No sooner had man fallen than God approached our first parents and offered them hope. God spoke of the promise of the seed, capital S, of the woman bruising the head of the serpent. He said there in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It was divinity intervening in history in the form of a human, the seed of a woman, it said. No time frame was given, but a promise that God alone could and would fulfill. The Apostle John in his Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 14, in fact records the event after it took place. He said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Paul, the later apostle, who beheld heavenly things, he said, declared in Galatians 4.4, 4, 
But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. But returning briefly to the disciples sitting with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, they were scarcely aware that they were asking questions of the promised seed of Genesis 3.15. The one so long awaited. What an extraordinary moment in time. You see, God was active here at this moment in human history fulfilling his promises. Not only was he fulfilling his promises, but he was communicating with humanity, revealing his activity. He wanted people to know what he was doing. No time frame was given for the original arrival of the Messiah. Was God being merciful, do you suppose? We now know, of course, that it was 4,000 years before the Messiah would appear. I think God was being merciful that he did not reveal the time in advance. Nonetheless, 500 years approximately before the anointing of Jesus by John the Baptist, God chose to reveal the actual year the Messiah would begin his saving mission. 500 years before, it was through Daniel the prophet in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25 of his book. It reads, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. Gracious though God had been in revealing such knowledge, only a few Old Testament believers recognised the time as it began to unfold. The shepherds, the wise men, two individuals, Simeon and Anna, had special reference. We discover, first of all, in Luke 2.25, that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he blessed the infant Jesus and his dedication there in the temple. And Anna the prophetess, on the same occasion, approached Jesus and his family. In Luke 2.37 and 2.38, we read that she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. We should not miss the example of Simeon and Anna. It seems that knowing God was the key to knowing when God was active in human history. Knowing God is important to knowing when God is active in human history. 
There was no lack on the part of God. He desired more than his people were willing to receive. Coming back to the Old Testament and the Old Testament sanctuary, as Jesus and the disciples sat there on the Mount of Olives, that whole system was about to come to a close. And again, little did the disciples realise that the very one around whom the Old Testament sanctuary system was focused was seated with them. Could they have known? Scripture revealed much about the coming of Jesus as a saviour. In Matthew 24 and verse 3, reminding ourselves, the disciples asked, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And in the remainder of the chapter, Matthew 24, to all believers, Jesus gave a comprehensive list of signs that would precede both the destruction of Jerusalem and of the end of the age. But he did not announce the timing of the events, which it seems, according to Scripture, only the Father knew. Was God again being merciful? It has been almost 2,000 years since those words were spoken on that mountainside in that conversation. It becomes clear that the fact that even when Old Testament believers did not know the timing of God's intervention, the timing of the fulfilment of his promises, it didn't in any sense undermine God's plan to carry it out. God desired to advance his plans for the redemption of humanity, but in wisdom he did not always reveal the timing. Paul said, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Therefore, when Jesus spoke to the disciples on Olivet, he was speaking also to those upon whom the ends of the ages will come. And thus it is for us, two millennia later, that we do not know the appointed day of the return of Jesus. Is there wisdom? Is there mercy in God withholding the time? And yet, paradoxically, Paul in 1 Thessalonians goes on to say, But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, that the day would overtake you as a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So what could he mean? Could it be that although we do not know the time, we can know the one who knows the time? That we can have confidence that God will make each step of our journey clear, though we cannot see the end of the journey 
from where we stand. We know enough to take the next step. And we are seeing more than sufficient surrounding us to know that it is all happening according to the plans that God has revealed. And so as we look again at the larger picture, we need to be aware that God did not forget those who would live beyond the cross. You see, the longest time prophecy in the book of Daniel, that very one that spoke about the coming of the Messiah, was actually much longer than the 500-year period almost until the appearance of Jesus. It was part of a 2,300-year prophecy. And it would extend down until the modern era in relative terms to the year 1844. And in that year, 1844, it did not suddenly pass in quietness. It was not, in other words, without incident. For in the wisdom of God, though the date was mistaken for the expected return of Jesus, a date that God did not set, it did result in a global, many countries, religious revival. And importantly, it did result in the ultimate establishment of a movement to deliver the last warning message to the world before the actual return of Jesus. In Revelation 10, verse 11, an angel revealed to the Apostle John that in the closing stages of the earth's history, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues and kings. And this was at a time identified by Bible scholars as following the commencement of the high priestly ministry of Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary. The commencement of the pre-advent judgment in 1844, the commencement, if you will, of the antitypical day of atonement. And it would be worth our while to notice that the significant events of salvation history have actually followed the temple feasts, Jesus dying at Passover, the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost, 1844 being the time when the sanctuary would be cleansed in terms of the antitypical day of atonement beginning. The gospel must be preached globally again in the setting of the pre-advent judgment. Unless we think that this is the only reference, this instruction by the angel is confirmed in the three angels' messages beginning in Revelation 14.6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. But I find it interesting that in, that in this very same conversation 
that Jesus held with the disciples, he made reference also to this end time proclamation. And you will know well, 14 of Matthew 24, where he said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Friends, God has not left us without light and direction. He has not declared the exact date of the return of Jesus, but he has revealed the task at hand. And the signs continue to appear, and every line of prophecy is well advanced, and it matters not whether you're in plus one, whether you're in the body of the church, whether you are in the village, whether you are in residential care, we're all able to see the conditions of our world are matching the descriptions that Jesus gave to his disciples on Olivet. And we're all able to come seeking to know the one who knows. And though we glibly talk about signs, I would briefly remind you that we have again a proliferation of natural disasters in the form of earthquakes and floods and fires. That we have a massive rise in immorality across the globe. That we have an escalating and all-pervasive experience of crime in every neighbourhood that there are wars and that there are rumours of wars taking place even as we meet together. But gladly, there's also global evangelism that is taking place. There is global evangelism that to us looks so enormous, but I remind you that God is not limited. Why did Jesus enunciate these various signs? And these signs are more than just interesting information. He said in John 14, 29, And now I have told you before it comes to pass, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. And, he and John in 20, chapter 20 and verse 31 writes, But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Yes, it is true that many signs have been given. It is true that we have knowledge that God has made available to us down through the centuries. But the entire purpose of God relating to us, his human family, is that in order that we might believe and that we might be saved. God's very first intervention beyond the fall was for our salvation. God's continued intervention throughout human history has to been to direct our path. And often we have diverted from the path that he has set before us. Constantly he has brought us back to his intended plan. And though we are assured that God will accomplish his plan in the earth, does this therefore suggest 
that we are mere spectators in all that God is doing. I think we would know that God has always chosen to use humanity for the advancement of the gospel. Empowered and led by the Holy Spirit, the world has twice been reached. You see, the promise is that this will happen again under the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in latter rain power. Under the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a praying and faithful people in the first century, according to Paul, the gospel reached the then known world. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit on a praying and faithful group of believers in the mid-1800s, a glorious revival took place that covered many of our world's nations. And though initially disappointed, those who refused to doubt God formed a last-day movement that began the work anew for the final proclamation. Well, I ask you to consider this brief statement from Desire of Ages, pages 633 and 634. By by giving the gospel to the world, it is in our power to hasten our Lord's return. We are not only to look for but to hasten the coming of the day of God. 2 Peter 3.12 is a marginal reference. Had the Church of Christ done her appointed work as the Lord ordained, the whole world would before this have been warned and the Lord Jesus would have come to our earth in power and in great glory. And friends, if there is veracity in this thought, shared with us, and it tells us something very interesting about the date of the return of Jesus. If it could have been before now, then it could be more than one date. And therefore, providing a date uh, would not have a significant meaning, particularly from so far back in history. God has demonstrated utter faithfulness in advancing the plan of salvation, proclaiming it to the world. His plan will succeed and we may succeed with it. It is not a case of exasperation and not knowing when the end will come. It is a case of knowing the one who knows. We may all choose to know him. And whether it be plus one, whether it be the church, whether it be the village, whether it be residential care, whether it be our communities across the earth, we may all choose to know him. He who began a good work in the world will bring it to completion. He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. We can rejoice as the day approaches. Thus, we may rejoice both today and at the last day. And again, we declare in the last verses of the book of Revelation, whatever the date may be, we would say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our dear Father, when the hour arrives...
we were wonder at ourselves that we had thought that it would take so long. But Father, we are grateful that you had to have declared to us many things. Enough for salvation, enough to understand the course of human history, more than enough to understand the beauty of your character and your desire for us. Help us, we pray, dear Father, to know you, that we might know the hour. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.